Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Bill Maroney. I wanted to show you those clips this morning because, you know, as children's pastor here uh, at Harvest, in addition to uh, getting to pray for a, a litany of of grandparents and dogs and cats and mice and snakes each week, I also get an opportunity to see the world through kids' eyes on a regular basis. And and that is a huge blessing. You can see uh, just from those clips, sometimes it is very funny, but the reality is that how we see the world as adults is no laughing matter. As a matter of fact, uh, it's very important to God, and we're going to talk a little bit about worldviews this morning. So join me as we pray uh, and lift up this morning's message to the Lord. Father, I just want to thank you for this time that we have to spend in your word. And Lord God, we ask that you would speak to your people. God, I ask that you would help me to get out of your way, and Lord, that you would speak, and that hearts uh, would be receptive, that ears would hear, and uh, God, that ultimately you would edify your people, and God, that you would be glorified uh, by the time that we spend here in your word, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So, Worldview, worldview, it sounds a lot like something that a sociologist might have or a, a college professor, but the reality is that we all have a worldview. Everybody. A worldview are those presuppositions, those convictions, those values that we use to try and make sense of the world around us and the life that we live. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to the book of Romans. We're going to start in Romans chapter 12 this morning. We're going to move around uh, quite a bit, but we'll start there in Romans 12. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 read like this. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but, by the tra- <clears throat> but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the Bible never uses the word worldview. That came along a whole lot later. But what Paul is talking about here really is a worldview. He's talking about what we believe, why we believe it, and how it affects how we live when he talks about the renewing of our minds. Because we're going to be using that term Christian worldview a lot this morning, I want to take just a minute to kind of put a definition to it. Um, Many of you are probably familiar with George Barna. George Barna is the founder of Barna Research. Uh, His firm does market research, and it studies the, the religious beliefs and behavior of Americans and the intersection of faith and culture. They do a lot of great studies, help us understand better how Uh, Christians are viewed in the world, how people view uh, the world outside of Christianity. And they've done a lot of great studies on worldviews. And one of them was conducted last year. And you know what? It had some really sad conclusions. That study found that only 17% 
of professing Christians have what the researchers would consider to be a biblical worldview. So of those who identified themselves as Christians, 17% met the Barna criteria for a biblical worldview. And I thought I'd share that with you this morning. Here are the six statements that they used in determining who did and didn't have a biblical worldview. The first was believing that absolute moral truth exists. The second, the Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles that it teaches. Satan is considered to be a real being or force, not merely symbolic. A person cannot earn their way into heaven by trying to be good or doing good works. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. And God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Those were the six statements. Now, while I agree with each one of those statements, to me that's still the light version of a biblical worldview. And yet 17%, 17% of the Christians that they spoke with ticked all those boxes and agreed with all of those statements. And you know what? That percentage being so low means that practicing Christians have accepted other worldviews into their own. And you know what? That problem is particularly strong with millennials and Gen Xers, the younger of our believers. And a lot of what's come into their worldview comes from other religions. So now that we've set the bar of what a worldview is, according to Barna, let's see what God wants us to know about how we should see the world. Our first point this morning is everybody has a worldview. They're not optional. You know, that's the one constant. Everybody has a worldview. You have a worldview, okay? This is one of those situations where no choice or remaining neutral or opting out isn't an option. You know what? You're either going to see life as God sees it or you're going to see it as the world sees it. There's no other choices, And yes, there are many, many, many competing worldviews out there. Secularism, Islam, Marxism, New Spirituality, Postmodernism, Atheism, Agnosticism, Naturalism, Pantheism, Materialism, Relativism, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. And you know what? Back in Paul's day, when he wrote this scripture, the unbiblical options were just as great. That's why Paul begins this portion of his letter to the Romans with a warning not to be conformed to this world. If you recall in the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul talks a lot about the doctrine of salvation and the righteousness of God. And then in chapter 12, he begins to look at the practical applications of those realities in our life. And that's important for us to see because that union of doctrine and living, that of doctrine and practical application is an indication that God knows that we struggle with that and that it's important. This is important. How we believe and how we live it out. So chapter 12 begins with an appeal to live holy lives as a sacrifice to God. 
to be doers of the word. Matthew 7.24, Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And in Romans 2.13 it says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. We are commanded many, many times in Scripture to live out our faith, to live holy lives, to live lives according to God's precepts. But why does Paul follow up that appeal for holy living with a caution about conforming to the world? Well, simple, because he knows that that is an ever-present danger for every single believer. Nobody is exempt. There is that danger of conforming to the world and losing God's perspective. Something is going to mold and shape you. Either God will or the world will, and there's no other option. So you're either going to be conformed to God's image or some other image that is contrary to God's image. And the choice is yours. You get to make that choice. But there's a catch here, and that catch is that one of those choices is going to take effort and discipline. And the other one will happen without you even noticing. George Barna, again, in his book, Transforming Children into Spiritual Champions, I love this book. For you parents, it's, it's a great book. I'm sure it's still available. Um, this is what Barna says. He says, the intentional development of a biblical worldview takes years of integrated effort. And what he's talking about here is the integration of effort between parents who have the primary responsibility for the spiritual development of their children and the church and others who pull alongside and try to help. And that's, that's what we do here at Harvest. And that development of a biblical worldview is the foundation of our third through sixth grade ministry here at Harvest. And the, the littler kids, the toddlers on up to about second grade, we concentrate on, on introducing these kids to Jesus, helping them to know him, to love him, to become familiar with their Bibles. And when they get, get to the third grade, we start focusing on that establishing of a biblical worldview. Because by the time they get out of the sixth grade and get into junior high, high school type age and on into young adulthood, the world is going to be coming at them fast and hard. And the time for them to get that unshakable biblical worldview is while they're still in grade school. And we focus on that because we feel that it is very important that they know not only what they believe, but why they believe it. And that's why we also focus on some basic apologetics with the third through sixth graders. Because, you know what, when they get to junior high and high school and, and things are getting real strange in life, and God bless Pastor Matt and his incredible team for the work they do there. But when they get there, the answer, because my Sunday school teacher or because my mom or dad told me so, isn't going to make it. They're going to need to have the ability to defend their faith. 
And that's why we give them that basic apologetics so they can learn the apologia, that defense of their faith. Then when the world comes along and tries to challenge that biblical worldview, they can stand. But I digress. Uh, you, you can't opt out of a biblical worldview. Everybody has one, and it's going to color everything you think, feel, say, and do. It influences every single aspect of your life. You know, there's an old story about a shoemaker who decides that he might want to expand his business to Africa. So he sends a couple of his people over to the Congo to take a look at uh, the, the environment over there to see about the feasibility of expanding their business. And the first one sends a back report that says, don't waste your money or your time. Nobody here wears shoes. And the second one sends back a report that says, huge market potential, everybody here needs shoes. Same situation, two incredibly different perspectives based on a worldview. We all process the world through the preconceived notions and ideas and tenets that we hold. So Paul is warning us, don't let the world determine your perspective. And we find that theme throughout Scripture. Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In 1 John 2.15-17, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Over and over and over, we're warned by Scripture to distance ourselves from this world and align ourselves with God. And the only way to do that is to see everything the way God sees it. And Paul knows how challenging that can be. The world is constantly trying to confuse believers with competing views. That's why Paul continues his statement with the phrase, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that's our second point this morning. The mind is the key to your worldview. Paul says, the renewal of your mind you know what? Our minds are the gatekeepers for our worldview. And Paul's saying that in order to keep our perspective right with God, we have to continually renew our minds. It's not a once-and-done situation. It's an ongoing effort. Every single day, you're going to be bombarded with information and input that threatens to clutter up your worldview, that threatens to influence your worldview. And the amount of input that we face on a daily basis is staggering. Much different than it was back in the day when Art Linkletter and, and those kids were speaking. And the world is filled with information 
in 2018. Researchers who reported their findings in the journal Science found that there were now 295 exabytes of data floating around the world. That's 295 quintillion pieces of information. That's a lot of zeros. There's a lot of information coming at you all day, every day. And the author of the article that I read that in said that, uh, tried to quantify it. He said that would be 315 times the estimated number of grains of sand on earth. Now, the estimated number of grains of sand on earth, this is obviously an enormous estimate to begin with. And we need to keep in mind that God knows exactly how many of grains of sand there are on earth, right down to the very last one. And if you really want to put this information age into perspective, as overwhelming as it is for us, for the people who have generated all of that information, I want you to think about our incredible creator, God. 295 quintillion pieces of information, and yet that's less than 1% of the information contained in the DNA of one human being. You see, God is an incredible God. And the bottom line is that all that information that enters our mind is competing for a chance to shape how we see the world. And it can have an effect even on good Bible-believing Christians. Remember that study from Barna? I want you to hear what some people who profess to be Christians Indicated in that study, 61% of practicing Christians strongly agreed with at least one of the ideas of new spirituality. Here's some examples. 28% believe that everyone is praying to the same God or ultimate being, regardless of the name they use for it. 27% said that meaning and purpose come from becoming one with all that is. And 32% said that good deeds are rewarded with good and bad deeds receive bad in turn. And these were folks who professed to be Christians. Postmodernism, rooted in the theory that objectivity doesn't exist, that everything is relative, also finds a pretty welcoming audience with professing Christians. 54% agreed that no one can know for certain what, the meaning, and, and what meaning and purpose there is to life. Oh my goodness, have they ever opened a Bible? It's pretty plain. 23% strongly agreed that morality is subjective, and 15% strongly agreed with the statement, if your beliefs offend someone or hurt their feelings, they, meaning your beliefs, are wrong. Do those ideas sound familiar? Yeah, they do, because that's the lies this world is trying to cram down our throats on a daily basis. And that last one bothers me immensely, because I watched it as that relativism worldview was pushed so hard on my kids when they were younger, and I see it in the media every single day. There are no moral absolutes and nothing is wrong. In fact, the only way that you can be wrong in our society today is to tell someone else what they're doing is wrong. Believe me, they'll be quick to tell you how wrong you are if you do that. So moral absolutes, definitely not a part of 
the worldview of non-Christians. But a Christian worldview is based on absolutes. There most definitely is a right and a wrong. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who call evil good. Well, Wait a minute, why? So what's wrong with a live and let live mindset? Why can't I simply ignore those misguided worldviews so long as they don't affect me? So long as nobody is making me accept them or live by them? Well, let's let scripture answer that question. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 and 6. Paul says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Paul is talking here about destroying arguments and taking every thought captive. He's talking about confronting wrong thoughts and wrong ideas and wrong actions for the sake of the gospel. To reveal the truth of Christ to others. We can't have a live and let live mentality and turn a blind eye. To recognize wrong thinking and wrong actions and live and let live may be politically correct, but in the eyes of God, it is sin. Here's what it says in James 4.17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Simply knowing right from wrong and having that biblical world view isn't enough. We have to do what's right. There are moral absolutes and God expects us to not only hold to them, but to share them with the lost world around us, no matter who might be offended. And that seems pretty straightforward. So How do professing Christians fall prey to this multitude of perversions of God's truth? Well, Brooke Hempel, who's a senior vice president of Barna Research, said this as he kind of summed up that study that we looked at. He said, the challenge with competing worldviews is that there are fragments of similarities to some Christian teachings. And some may recognize and latch on to these ideas, not realizing that they are distortions of biblical truths. Informed thinking is essential to developing and maintaining a healthy biblical worldview and faith, as well as being able to have productive dialogue with those who espouse other beliefs. So, in a long and windy statement, Brooke Hempel is saying, renew your minds. He's saying, if you don't want to fall into the trap of taking into your worldview these things that don't belong there, you'd better keep putting God's word in there. Informed thinking comes from studying the word of God. And every single day, you're going to be inundated with bad information. And if you don't want that stuff to clog up your mind and your heart, You've got to renew that mind. And did you notice that I connected minds and hearts there? You know, sometimes we like to try and separate our mind and our heart. Um, Even at times, put them at odds with each other. You hear people say, well, you know, in my mind I know this, but my heart wants. What that really means is in my mind I know this, but my sinful nature wants. Okay? Our minds and our hearts are not to be separated. Remember when, when uh, in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus was talking to the scribe and the scribe asked what the most important commandment was? 
Jesus replied, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. You see, our, our heart and mind belong together. The Greek word for mind there is dianoia, which means the mind is a faculty, not just of reasoning and understanding, but of feeling and desiring. It includes both thinking and feeling. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew thought, the person is seen as a single entity and there's no attempt to compartmentalize certain parts of that person with the ability to act separately or independently. Therefore, the heart, the mind, and the soul, while different in some ways, are seen as a whole. So your heart and your mind are not mutually exclusive. It's not an either-or situation. It's a both-and situation. And when we renew our minds, as Paul is instructing us to, our hearts are naturally going to follow. You are going to want what God wants. The mind of God, or the mind, is indeed the key, but it isn't just your mind. You have to discover God's mind. That's our third point. A biblical worldview comes through studying Scripture. The world's truth is usually a majority rule kind of situation. The prevailing culture decides what's true, its morals, its values are subjective. Different cultures have different truths, and even different people within different cultures have different truths. But God's truth is objective. It's not subjective. We discover truth. We don't create it or define it. Psalm 25.5 says, Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. God is the author of all truth, and we learn it or discover it from him in his word. Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We find absolute truth in the word of God. Remember one of those things that Barnes said was, the box you had to tick in order to have a biblical worldview was the Bible is totally accurate in all of the principles it teaches. And it's critical that we hold fast to that truth in our worldview. In fact, in my mind, that's the linchpin of the whole thing. If I am 100% absolutely positively certain that every single aspect of God's word is 100% true and accurate and that the Bible is all sufficient for knowledge of salvation and for hum the human soul and for right living, then those other aspects of biblical worldview start to fall right into place, don't they? Because I'm getting them from that 100% infallible, inerrant Bible. Psalm 90, uh, 19, 7 through 11, here's what David says about God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure, of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. 
David certainly understood the sufficiency of Scripture. It doesn't matter how you, what you call it, law, precepts, testimony, commandments, rules. It's all God's Word, the Holy Bible that we have today. And that's how we renew our minds, by putting that in here so that it can take care of the garbage that the world keeps trying to pour in on a daily basis. So the question you need to ask yourself is, do you see God's word as David saw it? Is it more precious than fine gold in your life? Or do you spend more time chasing the things of the world than you do reading this most precious possession you could ever own? Think about what David said there. This book is not only going to help you to to develop a biblical worldview and live that out, it will revive your soul. And, and I know we all need reviving from time to time. Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high places, a high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Renewing your mind will revive your heart. God's word will make you wise. Proverbs 8 says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. See, God says he gives us his word for wisdom, for living, that we might be blessed. God's word will also rejoice your heart. Psalm 31, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. See, even in great affliction, God's word can bring joy into our lives when we use it to renew our minds, that connection between mind and heart. God's word will enlighten your eyes. I know that sounds a lot like making us wise, but it's really kind of a a slightly different connotation there. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses a similar phrase in his prayer for those believers in Ephesus. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul's talking about spiritual understanding. He's saying that's what enables us through the Holy Spirit, to see through God's eyes, to constantly experience life through a spiritual perspective is that enlightenment of our eyes. In other words, you have to have a biblical worldview if you want that spiritual aspect to be a part of everything, every single aspect of your life. In verse 9, he reminds us that his word will endure forever. It's incredibly important for you to remember that God's word is sufficient for today, for tomorrow, and for every tomorrow until you go to spend eternity with him. Psalm 33, 1 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all 
generations. God's word never changes. Can you see how, how critical that is to the correct worldview? The thoughts and ideas of this world are capricious. They change all the time. And what's right today may be wrong tomorrow, but God's truth never changes. If it's right today, it's right tomorrow. You can rest assured that scripture will always have the correct answer for today. There are no updates you missed. There's no new ideas that need to be investigated. God doesn't flip-flop on his shoes. You know, have you ever had to deal with someone who was constantly changing their minds? Yes. I had a boss once who would literally tell me to do something. This is not Pastor Scott. I need to clarify that. Who would tell me to do things one way today and a couple of days later he'd he'd yell at me why are you doing that well you told me to you know what that was unsettling and confusing for me and you know what that's the way of a non-biblical worldview you are always going to be confused and unsettled because it's always going to be changing god's word never changes David also says that God's word is righteous altogether. 2 Timothy 3.16, you know it well. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The renewal of our minds with God's word trains us in righteousness for that right living. So if we want to have that biblical worldview, we've got to be in God's word on a daily basis. Anything else, anything less opens us up to having the clutter of this world and the lies that masquerade as truth influence our minds and our hearts and our actions. Our last point this morning, a biblical worldview is required for right living. We do live in a confusing, sin-filled world, but if we see it correctly and we want to respond correctly, we have to have a completely biblical worldview. In 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Folks, if we want to please God, if we want to live lives that are pleasing to God, we have to seriously study God's word, renew our minds on a daily basis because it's impossible to live our life in a way that pleases God and glorifies him if we're not doing that. The world will get in. The world will begin to affect your actions and mine. Worldviews. Everybody has a worldview. The mind is the key to your worldview. A biblical worldview comes through studying scripture. And a biblical worldview is required for right living. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.